Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this time that we have to worship together. As we're able to gather online as your family, Lord, we know that although space separates us, you are in all places at all times. There is no such thing as space or distance to you. And we know through the power of your Holy Spirit that you can bind us together. And so we ask now, Father, that you would draw us together and that you would draw us to yourself. That we may grow in faith and through this time, we may grow in our relationship with you. In your name we pray, amen. Holy cow, a magic table showed up here. Wow, that is awesome. Hello to the New Life family online with us this weekend. My name is Mark, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at New Life. And as you have been worshiping online, you may have noticed some hands being raised from the crowd or some people who have been here with us. And that be, that's because our amazing, unbelievable team members are here with us this evening on Saturday night in order to be trained and equipped and prepared for our return to worship weekend coming up. In fact, we only have to worship online just two more times, and then on June 27th and on June 28th, we get to be back in worship in person with you right here in the New Life Worship Center, which is awesome, which is awesome. New Life Online has been a really powerful and really cool experience. It's come with its own challenges, but also a ton of blessings as we have been able to reach people we never would have been able to reach just because this season happened. But we're really excited to get back into worship with you. And if you're excited to come back on the 27th and 28th, go to our website right now at newlifexn.org. Visit there and find out our return to church plan and strategy that we're going to be implementing that weekend. You can even watch a video of a very handsome couple of guys directing you on how you're actually going to enter into the building whenever you come on the 27th, 28th. And I don't know about you, but I've woken up in the morning and gone, I'm walking outside and I take a look down and I think, dang, I look pretty good. But have you ever had that happen in the morning and then you were on video and you watch the video and you're like, mm, good might have been too strong of a word. I could stand to lose like a solid 20. That's what happened to me whenever I filmed that video with Pastor Brad this past week. Woo! But we are so excited to be back in worship with you, and we cannot wait to be able to see you in person and to greet you in a socially distant manner. But we're still excited to get a chance to be back and to see you. Last weekend, Pastor Alex kicked us off on our all-new summer series called Such a Time as This. I'm like pretty sure that's exactly what the name of it is. Oh, yes, it is. Such a Time as This, Biblical Role Models for Our Time. Pastor Alex examined the, the life of a young woman named Esther. Esther lived during a really tremendous season in the history of Israel, a really challenging one. She lived during a time when her people were exiled in a land called Babylon. In fact, it became Persia. She was taken in and she became the queen, and there was a plan that was hatched to kill off all of her people. And there's this really powerful story where Esther actually puts the needs of an entire nation above her own. Where she was the queen and she could have lived out her days in endless comfort and luxury. She instead decided to risk her life to save her people. And God did amazing things through that. 
We looked at the biblical role model of Esther and we began examining that and applying it to our life. And guys, there is no better time than today to put the needs of others above yourself. We have been in one of the craziest seasons. In fact, for many people, one of the most divisive and crazy seasons that they have ever experienced in their entire lives. There have been so many opinions and so many things going on. Our world between COVID-19 and protests and riots has been flooded by studies, examinations, and statistics, most of which, quite frankly, contradict one another. And we're not really sure how to figure out which one's right and which end is up. There has been countless people who have provided us answers from their platforms. Some of them not really having a platform at all except their Facebook friends. And... It's been confusing and difficult. Uh, Our family members, our church family, and some of our friends have slung around words like stupid and idiot and coward and racist and bigot without ever considering who it is that they would be hurting. It's been a really challenging season. And most of us, some of us who even are living the dream because we're off work right now are still trying to make heads and tails of exactly what is going on. And there has been no better time to put others before ourselves. But the real question is, are stories that are thousands of years old really able to help us navigate things like a pandemic, riots, and racial injustice? Are stories from this book that Christians believe in really capable of applying to our lives in a meaningful way. When we call ourselves Christians and we say here at New Life that we trust the Bible and we do, it's one thing to say that and preach about it during of times that are peaceful and easy, but it's quite another thing whenever the rubber meets the road and we have to find ways to apply the Bible to our day-to-day lives when it's actually difficult to do. So that's why we chose this series. We're looking at stories that are thousands of years old And we're drawing from them truth that helps us better understand how to apply the Bible and draw close to Jesus during this challenging time. This weekend, I'm going to be taking a look at the life of a man named Abraham. But before we do that, I want to take us to our take-home point today. And our take-home point is the one point I'm going to seek to make that we can take it out and live it out in the week ahead. Whether we're staying in our house or heading off to work, wherever it is. Our take-home point for this week is this. We can trust God with everything. We can trust God with everything. Now, I know this is something that most of us know. It's not a shocker. It's not brain surgery. But oftentimes, the most profound truths of Scripture are not things that really blow our mind. They're basic truths that we have to be reminded of whenever we have forgotten. So for part two of experiencing God in such a time of this, we're going to go to the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at a man named Abraham. Abraham was initially known not as Abraham, but as a man named Abram. And we're first introduced to Abram through a long line of descendants from a man named Shem, which is not a great name. Shem, let's face it, come on. Shem was the son of Noah, and Noah did not know how to name his kids well, evidently. Shem was the son of Noah, and he lived through the great flood that eradicated nearly everything on the planet. 
And then we have this long line of descendants that lead up to the birth of Abram. And after Abram is born and he's living his life, it says that God came and he spoke with him. But to start with, Abraham had little to no knowledge of who God is. When you actually look at the accounts at the beginning of the Bible from Genesis, we have Adam and Eve, they get removed from the garden, sin enters the world, all of these horrible things begin to happen, and as the world degrades, God washes it clean through a flood. From flood to Abram, all that we have is a list of names. So God has not revealed himself to his people for literally hundreds and hundreds of years. And then God comes and speaks to Abraham. We're going to look in Genesis 12, 1 through 4. The Lord said to Abram, or Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot, which is his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. God says to Abraham, leave and go to the land that I will show you. Abraham was 75 years old, which honestly, during this time, wasn't that old. It seems really old. But the, the point is, is that he wasn't a young guy. He had lived for 75 years. He had an established life. This guy wasn't 22 years old, graduating from college with his bachelor's degree and looking for a job anywhere in the country. He had flocks and herds. During this time, he and his family controlled this section of the world. And in that place, they had safety. It was no small thing for Abraham to pack up everything that he had and move. In fact, the scriptures tell us at 75 years old, when God told him to go, and he did, he packed up his wife, family members, servants, everything that he owned. He didn't rent a moving truck and put it in the back of a U-Haul. He traveled by animal taking flocks and herds, of which were vast, because Abraham was very wealthy. And he just left. God doesn't say, I want you to go east or west. He doesn't say, I want you to go to the beach or follow the river. He says, go to the land I will show you. Not even a gentle nudge in a direction. Not even a like, well, I know I said go to the land I will show you, but go towards that rock and then just keep following big rocks and you'll find your way. Just go. You imagine coming to everybody who's lived secure. There's no logical reason whatsoever for Abraham to leave. None whatsoever. He has every logical reason in the world to stay. But he hears from the Lord and he decides to leave. Now I feel like there's been times in life when I've heard from God. Maybe it's been a season or a time when, when God prompted my heart to speak to somebody or prompted my heart to give money to a cause or to an individual. And if you give me long enough, I will justify away the urge. I will convince myself it's not the Holy Spirit, it's not the voice of God, it is that I'm losing my mind. And there have been times that I've received promptings, and I hope that you've received them as well, that I've followed through on them. 
And there are many times that I've ignored them. Abraham was not asked to do something small. It wasn't a a little prompting. It was pack up everything you own, walk in a random direction, and when you get there, you will know. But I'm not telling you anything else. And the craziest part is that Abraham listened. He actually packed up his family and he actually left. There's a lot of uncertainty in our lives right now. But we can trust God with the future. We can trust God with our future. In our world right now, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what the long-term impacts of COVID-19 will be. We don't know what the economy will look like. We don't really know how to solve the problems of racial injustice that are dividing and hurting our brothers and sisters across the globe. We don't know what tomorrow will look like exactly. And neither did Abraham. He had no clue where it was that he was supposed to go, but God told him to go and he went because God is capable of taking care of our future. I was reminded of this just recently. I had gone through a day that was difficult, long meetings, difficult conversations, uncomfortable moments, as we've all had a lot of those recently. And after all of that, I was weighed down by the weight of what was going on in our world, so I got in my car and I drove. Now, typically, I would get in my car and I would drive and I would think, but this time I put on some worship music, which is unusual for me. I'm not against worshiping as a person, as an individual, but I prefer to worship as a group. So I don't worship individually very often. I turned on an old Hillsong United song and I began to sing in my car and I almost had to pull over because as soon as I started to worship, I almost immediately began to weep. It had been so long since I worshiped. Months had passed since I had genuinely praised. To be honest with you, there haven't been months passed without me worshiping since probably I was in seventh grade. I had carried so much weight for the future. I wanted certainty, I wanted security, I wanted safety. I was bearing all of this weight upon my shoulders and the moment I began worshiping and I began handing those things over to the Lord, when I began handing those things over to my Father and it lifted from me, it was almost physical. I just began to weep. And I was reminded in that moment that God has my future that he remains in control. Guys, you weren't created to predict the future. And you weren't created to know it or to carry it. If you were, God would not have created us inside the confides of time. God isn't interested in us predicting or carrying the future. He's interested in us trusting him today and having faith in him for the future. That doesn't mean that we don't plan. That doesn't mean that we look for, we don't look to the future and try to make preparations, but it does mean that we don't carry it on our shoulders. It means that we can trust God with the future. The next story that we're going to look at from the story of Abraham is when he met a man named Melchizedek. Melchizedek is kind of this mysterious priest. The Bible calls him a priest of the Lord on high. He tells us that he's the king of a city called Salem. He appears out of nowhere, and actually in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews will tell us that Melchizedek is the precursor to who Jesus would be, an eternal priest. 
After Abraham secures a victory and rescues his nephew Lot from a foreign land, he gives a tithe, a tenth of what he had received, to the priest Melchizedek. And after that, God comes to Abraham in a vision. And we see that in Genesis 5, 15, 1 through 6. It says this, Sometime later the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign God, what are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you have given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up to the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abram was married to a woman named Sarai, who will later become known as Sarah. She can't have kids. He has no children. God speaks to Abraham about blessing, about protection. And Abraham cries out to God with the deepest desires of his heart. We can trust God with the deepest desires of our heart. I don't know what that thing is for you. Perhaps it's healing. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's the salvation of a family member. I'm not sure. For Abraham, it wasn't more protection it wasn't more wealth. It wasn't more prosperity. Abraham desperately and most deeply wanted a son. And when he cried out to God, God responded. And Abraham had faith and believed. And it was counted as, to Abraham as righteousness because of his faith in the words that God had spoken to him. But I want you to know that even though Abraham spoke out about his deepest desires and God said, Abraham, you will have a son, it didn't happen right away. I can imagine Abraham running home to his wife. They had been waiting so long for children. It was well past the time that they should have been able to have kids. But he comes and he says, God came to me in a vision, Sarah, and we are going to have a son. And they must have thought it would happen right away. That God answered the prayer and he responded and it was a vision and surely then we'll be pregnant. But they weren't. Not just days and months went by, but years passed and no child was conceived. And I imagine that Abraham grew anxious, thought maybe that God had forgotten about him. And so he took matters into his own hands. And he took his wife's servant and had a son with her. And after that son was born, Sarah became envious and jealous and Abraham had to kick this woman and her child out of the encampment. An angel came and attended to the two of them. And from that line birthed the nation of Islam. And to this day, we see the conflict between Israel and Islam that was started by a lack of Abraham's faith and patience and belief in the will of God. Eventually, Sarah conceived and she gave birth to a son and the line of the Jews, and eventually Jesus was born out of that line. It is easy to trust God with the deepest desires of our hearts in the shortest of moments. It's much harder as time passes. It's much harder as things seem to be 
impossible. In reality, it seemed to Abraham, Abraham and his wife that it would be impossible. But from this story, we're reminded that we can trust God with the deepest desires of our hearts, even if it's been a long time, and even if it seems impossible. Our last story and example that we can apply to our lives from the stories of Abraham come a little bit later in his life. His son Isaac has been born, and God speaks to him and tests him. We see this story in Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 13. It says this, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then they chopped wood for a fire for the burnt offering and set it out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide the sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham replied. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up a knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld even from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham's deepest desires had become his life's greatest treasure. Through my years as a youth pastor, I walked through a lot of garbage with kids. But I think the most heart-wrenching and difficult was walking through that with some of the young girls who came through the ministry. Through the years that I worked in the youth ministry, we walked through family separations, self-mutilation, depression, suicide attempts, rape, just about everything in between. My heart was never really truly prepared to deal with most of the things that we encountered and we walked through with teenagers. I had not had the easiest life, but my life was far easier than just about any student who came through our youth group. I was always blown away by the difficult lives that many of our students had lived and the traumatizing things they had gone through at such a young age. And then I had kids, and my daughter Brooklyn arrived. Now, I was never an anxious person. In fact, you can ask some of the guys that I lived with growing up. It was not uncommon for me not only to leave the front door unlocked, but to leave it wide open 
all night. I wasn't an anxious person. I didn't worry ever. But there was never a piece of me that was living outside of me either. And when my daughter was born, my life became swamped by anxiety. It became difficult to sleep at night. I would stay up late into the early hours of the morning just so I could drag myself to bed and instantly fall asleep. On worse nights, I would lay in bed at night thinking about the horrible things that could potentially happen to my children either as I slept or as they grew up. And the reality is I knew many of the terrible things that happened to kids even from solid homes because I had walked through those things with them. And I was scared. My daughter Aria was born after that. I spent a lot of nights sleepless and didn't know how to deal with this anxiety. The reality was, I didn't want to trust God with them. I wanted control over them. It was my job as their father to raise them well, to watch over them and to protect them. And I didn't trust anybody else, including God, to do that. And I didn't want to surrender them. And it wasn't until Brooklyn was approaching three and Aria had arrived that I finally surrendered my children to my father. I was taking our dog for a walk and I was praying for my girls and I distinctly remember hearing in my head, do you really believe that you love your daughters more than me or that you are a better protector for them than I am? And I knew in that moment that it was the Holy Spirit and so I fired back because I was angry. And I said, well, what about the kids in Jerusalem when Babylon conquered the city or the children in Rwanda when the genocide happened? Didn't their parents trust you too? For I knew what happened in Jerusalem and that year I had been in Rwanda and I had walked through the children's room and the genocide memorial and I had read the stories of kids who were tortured and murdered. And God didn't respond to my outburst. Instead, he just said again, do you really believe that you love your daughters more than me? Or that you're a better protector for them than I am? And it was on the back half of North Isabella Street that I entrusted and surrendered my greatest treasures to my father. It is the hardest thing I have ever had to surrender and take my hands off of. But I know that I can trust my father with the greatest treasures of my life. And I know that you can too. Guys, with all the craziness that's been going on and as we have tried to make heads and tails of what is happening with our world, there has been a significant amount of uncertainty. Many of us have desperately tried to stake a place down in all of it just so we felt like we could survive it. I know that. And we know as followers of Jesus that we need to trust God in everything. But when it comes to our future, our deepest desires, and our most prized treasures in our lives, these are the things that cause us the greatest amount of strife when it comes to surrendering them to our Father. These are the things that cause the most anxiety, the most worry, the most anger, the most fear, the most outrage is when we cling to these things, they're always the last things that we give up. Our future, our deepest desires, and our greatest treasures. 
I'm telling you today that you can trust the Lord with them. When we trust God with every aspect of our lives, we are better equipped to love the people he puts in our path. The world does not need more anger, and it doesn't need you to be right. And it doesn't need me to be right. It needs people to listen, and it needs people to love one another. And there is no better time than now to love one another. But we will always be handicapped and incapable of doing it if we do not trust God with the things that we are so desperately afraid of trusting him with. We have to surrender everything to him. Which is really our next step for this week. Our next step this week, which we're going to throw up on the screen, is this. I will surrender my future, my desires, and treasures to God this week. When we trust God and we truly surrender to him, not just our Sunday mornings, but the deepest and most intimate aspects of our lives, we can truly begin to live life unreserved. But we can't even begin with that until we trust God as our Savior and Lord. And so in just a moment, we're going to get the opportunity during this song, you can pray it. Afterwards, you can pray with me to ask Jesus to come into your life 